right, we're here with four-time Olympic gold medalist Lenny Kraselberg. And before we get into anything, I just have to ask you, does that ever get old, that preface? Well, no, not really. I mean, we're further and further away from actually those accomplishments as I get older. But certainly, uh, no, it, it never gets old. It's, you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of commitment and dedication over the years. And so I'm very proud out of, uh, I guess, that uh, title that usually, you know, is attached to to my name. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Before we were uh, prepping for this, me and Sean were kind of joking, and you kind of mentioned it there, that it's been a pretty long time since those gold medals. We weren't alive when you were competing, so kind of cool to be here with you. I hope that doesn't make you feel too old, but... No, no, it... It doesn't. It doesn't. Actually, I have two daughters, twin girls that are about your age. So it doesn't. They keep me young. So so I actually uh, uh, enjoy it. And I always uh, enjoy kind of, you know, interacting with the younger generation, obviously talking about my own, my personal experiences, but also, you know, talking about, uh, you know, how incredible life is and opportunities that that you have in this world um if you're willing to put in the work so these interactions keep me young that's awesome i'd i'd love if you could start off just tell us a little bit about your journey and yourself you've been through you know a lot just what was it like being a newly immigrated 13 year old into the states and then you know eventually getting the opportunity full ride at usc and then eventually olympic swimmer and beyond so if you could just tell us a little bit about your journey yeah, the journey was definitely uh, an interesting and a challenging one for sure. Uh, I grew up in Odessa, Ukraine, um, started to swim when I was about five years old. Um, you know, in, in Soviet Union, and probably still is the case nowadays in, you know, Ukraine or Russia, uh, soccer is the most popular sport. I guess soccer is the most popular sport around the world, for that matter. So my dad wanted me to play soccer, but I was too young at five. So he um, he said, you know, let's try to swim. What uh, Odessa is in the Black Sea, so knowing how to swim was a must. Uh, got me into a program, uh, uh, onto like a learn to swim program at around five. And then I just uh, really stuck with it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know how much uh, you guys have done uh, or know anything about Russian sports system or communism sports system. East Germans were very similar to that. It was very, very intense. So uh, when I was started fourth grade, I was selected in a special group of kids that they felt had a potential and talent to succeed in swimming. And so that group of kids was also, we were same age. So that my swim team was also my school class. So we were kind of all together and we trained five hours a day at nine years old uh, and had to do some, had to do school in between. So it That's was really, crazy. really intense. Wow. It was very intense. I mean, we, we were lifting weights at 10, uh, very intense. And, uh, but uh, I do have to say that, you know, we tend to uh, learn through our experiences. And, and those experiences, although they were tough, um, I think they really defined me who I am. And it helped me later on uh, as my athletic career was uh, progressing. It really helped me to, to achieve the success that I did. Uh, being Jewish, obviously, uh, my, you know, it was, uh, it was tough in Soviet Union definitely faced anti-Semitism. 
definitely got into some fights with some kids. I was the only Jewish kid in my class. Um, you know, the last name Kraselberg does stand out in Soviet Union. <laughs> so uh, my parents felt like it was better for us to immigrate to the United States and for better opportunity, better life. Came here when I was, well, I immigrated when I was 13. Uh, came to LA right away. We settled in West Hollywood. I didn't really speak any English. Um, so uh, one thing was really important is for my dad to make sure I, we found the swim team. So my swim team, we found the team in, in Santa Monica. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was fun to, to join that swim team, although it was quite a drive. Uh, or not, not even a bus ride, because my parents, uh, as immigrants, uh, my parents had to find jobs and had to, you know, provide for a family. So I was on my own, at, you know, 13, 14 years old in L.A., newly settled. Um, but I wanted to continue swimming. And, uh, you know, I would take a bus every day to Santa Monica and back to practices. I remember when I was uh, uh, just early on on the team there, uh, all these kids wanted to know about me, where I, where I'm, you know, where I'm from, what my life was like. I spoke zero English, so you know, I just nod my head, and that was pretty much it. So, uh, but uh, I will tell you that it was an incredibly uh, warm and welcoming uh, environment being part of the team. And there, you know, my parents could not afford or have time to take me to competitions on the weekends. So, parents of uh, other kids on the team would come pick me up okay. and take me to the team. So it was really, it was incredible. I mean, you know, as, as a new person settling in, in a new country, there's a lot of obstacles, right? A lot of challenges. But when you have people that are so warm and so, you know, open armed, uh, trying to help you, it was uh, very helpful. Uh, so I, I did swim high school. I went to Fairfax High. So high school didn't have a swim team. I played basketball. Um, not on varsity. I wasn't that good. Uh, I played on like a. I'm sure piece. you were great. Uh, I'm sure you were great. <laughs> well, no, but you know what? What is interesting, though, you'd be you'd be surprised, and I, I and it's I think it's a really important message. In tenth grade, I was five six, one hundred and five pounds. So I was tiny. Wow. Wow. So I was really small. I didn't really get big until probably about senior, and then my first year after high school. And it's really important because I think a lot of times what happens is that we tend to compare ourselves to others, right? Our peers. Um, and especially during the teenage years, when we grow, our growth spurts happen differently, right? You can't control that. And sometimes uh, kids tend to get down on themselves because someone is bigger and better at like 13, 14, 15. And yeah. you and and they give up on their dream, right? Give up on on pursuing something they really want to do, and uh, but you know eventually you never know when when your growth spur is going to happen and what's going to happen. I'm still so, waiting. Do you have any advice? <laughs> uh, well, listen, uh, it's never too <laughs> it's never too late. Uh, I don't know what sports you play though, uh, but. Uh, so high school, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't swim high school. I ended up leaving Santa Monica team and I, I came closer to home. I was at the West Side Jewish Community Center. There was a swim team there. So I was just kind of going through the motions more than anything. I didn't really have big dreams. I didn't about in swimming. I didn't really know what I, you know, how, how, how much I want to push it. But what I did know is that I enjoyed it. 
And I really enjoyed coming to practices and I really enjoyed being challenged. And I think that's a, that is a really important message overall is, you know, it's really, it, it, the key is to enjoy what you do. And uh, for me, that was it. The, the environment being a part of the team on the swim team and uh, continuing to kind of take it one day at a time. Um, not swimming high school obviously wasn't good enough to uh, get any scholarship offers to universities. So I ended up going to West Hollywood, uh, to Santa Monica College as a community college. You don't need to be accepted there. You just go sign up. There was a team there, a swim team, like community college had a swim team. I walked into the coach's office and I told him, you know, I'm going to enroll into Santa Monica. Uh, and I'd like to be swimming in the team here. And I told them my time. So my times were pretty good for like community college. So he's like, oh, that's great. We'd love to have you be part of it. Swam my freshman year at Santa Monica College. I did very well. I dropped a lot of time. And let me just get back to really quickly. While I was in high school, I also had to work a lot. So because I had to help my my parents, you know, just just support for a family. And more than anything, is just to be able to afford my own expenses. You know, as a teenager in high school, you do have expenses, right? I mean, you want to go to hang out with your friends. You want to buy sneakers. You want to buy some athletic gear. So it's normal. And my parents were, you know, re, uh immigrants just came here well our budget was really tight so i needed to work to help them so when i started santa monica college i started to focus a little bit more on uh, swimming in school so i had more time to train and my times really improved and uh by the end of the freshman year i actually broke the national uh community college record and my coach there said, you know what, uh, let me call USC and see if you can go train at USC for the summer and see if you can at least improve. So the coach at USC said, yeah, uh, you know, I'll give him an opportunity to train in the summer. You know, he's not as fast as our group, but, uh, you know, let me see. Uh, and... You know, this is another kind of a learning moment for me is that I've always taken advantage of, of opportunities given to and um, and and go in 100 percent commitment. And uh, within two months uh, and basically I didn't do a lot of I did a couple of competitions and the coach obviously saw talent. But what he saw was the work ethic. And by the end of the summer, he pulls me in his office and said, Lenny, I want to give you a full ride to USC. Uh, and, uh, and I think, and in that same conversation, he told me, Lenny, I think you can be the best backstroker in the world in a few years. So, you know, obviously that was an incredible conversation and moment for me, for my family, uh, you know, being offered a full ride to USC off of, uh, two months training, uh, in the summertime, the coach really saw the potential. And I mean, he obviously saw talent. I mean, well, let, let's be realistic. I did have talent. You don't, you don't get to this level if you don't have talent, but there's a lot of people that have talent, but aren't willing to put in the work. And, um, I, I had both, I had the work ethic and I had talent. And, uh, you know, I started, you know, I had to do another year at community college just so I had enough credits to transfer. Went to USC the following year. And, you know, my career really took off from there. I ended up, you know, one day winning, you know, one year winning NC2A championships. And, you know, when I graduated, I that my senior year at USC, I uh, 
I made the U.S. national team that went to world championships. I won the world champs. And then, you know, by the time I graduated in December of 98, I was really just focused on, you know, Sydney games in 2000. And uh, went to Sydney. I was favorite. Uh, by that time, I broke. Heading into Sydney, I was already a world record holder in all backstroke events. And I went into Sydney as a uh, favorite to win it. And, uh, you know, fortunately enough, I came through and <laughs> did win it. And, uh, yeah, so it was uh, it was a, a good, well, it was quite a journey, but uh, with a lot of ups and downs, but certainly, you know, helped me, you know, realize uh, and help my family realize a dream that they had is to come to America, right, for for better life and more opportunities. And, you know, I was able to realize that dream for all of us. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that is truly an amazing journey. And it's crazy to see how that ups and downs and how you fought through all that. So I want to ask you was, what's it like hearing from a coach that you have that potential and hearing that after not even competing in high school that you had the potential and he believed in you to be an Olympic gold medalist? What would that feel like? Yeah, it was. Uh, that's a great question. It was definitely surreal at that time. Uh, you know, especially the coach Mark Schubert. He was one of the most legendary coaches in the world. He uh, he coached number of Olympic champions, uh, world record holders. So for him to say that was really powerful and um, humbling for sure. But that also in that moment made me realize that nothing was going to stop me to achieve my dreams. And I was going to give it my all every single time. I was going to be honest with myself that I was going to push myself to really fulfill what he thought that I had the potential in. And, uh, you know, one thing about me, I, I, I love challenges and I love, um, you know, pursuing something that I, I, I feel like I can be really, really successful. And if I put you know, the right commitment and, and work ethic into it. And this is one of these opportunities, you know, one of these conversations that really, uh, I feel like define who I was at that time, my my core principles uh, of just, you know, the, the commitment to 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 a dream, a, a work ethic, um, understanding that in life is ups and downs, right? I mean, that's normal. It wasn't always going to be great. It wasn't always going to be easy or successful. I wasn't going to win every competition, but it was about learning. It was about learning and continue to pursue that journey. And, you know, I I, I was ready and willing to do so, um, obviously, with, after that conversation. Um, I want to go back to something you mentioned after our first question about how you went into those 2000s Olympics as the favorite. How did you handle the pressure that came with that and that expectation you had on you to win the gold medal? Yeah, that that's a great question. And uh, the pressure was big. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, quite honestly, uh, I didn't realize how big the pressure was until the night before the first final. Uh, because, you know, I was kind of, you know, um, in order to qualify for the U.S. Olympic team, uh, you have to go to Olympic trials and you have to get top two places in order to make the team in every race. Um, 
you know, I, I, you know, fortunately, and again, it's through my work ethic and my talent and dedication. I was better, substantially better than the rest of the swimmers in the U.S. So I didn't have a hard time making the Olympic team. So, uh, but going uh, into the first final, I'm laying in bed and I know that tomorrow night is the final. And I'm thinking, and all of a sudden, I, I, and I've, you know, I always felt confident going into my races because I, I, I was always prepared. I, I, you know, visualized my races. I've always prepared. I knew I left no stone unturned. So I, I, I knew that uh, I was always very confident. But, but late there at night, the night, you know, the, right before the, the night before my first final, I'm thinking to myself, tomorrow night at 7.30 at night, I have to be good for 53 seconds. Whether or not I will ever have that chance again in life, I don't know. And that moment and those thoughts became a bit overwhelming, right? And and then for me, it was about, you know, obviously still trying to calm myself. And the next day, and I've always done that in my competition, I try to avoid being by myself. So I tried to be around my, you know, my, my teammates, my coaches, just getting my mind away from like all those thoughts, right? Like, for example, uh, I, you know, at the Olympic, Olympic Village, when you're in Olympic Village, they have a cafeteria uh, where all the athletes eat. And it, it, it's for about 10,000 people. So you can imagine the size of that cafeteria. So then I remember like my, my first final race was like at 7.30 at night. So I, you know, like around four or so, I started to, you know, went to cafeteria to grab a snack uh, just so I can prepare. And I remember calling my friends in L.A., just trying to talk to them, just so I can keep my mind away from what was about to happen, right? What was uh, at stake? And... Uh, I, I found that for me to be very helpful because I knew I, I, you know, I put in the work. There was no doubt about that. I put in all the work. I was ready. But sometimes, you know, we tend to overthink and get overwhelmed with situation. And for me, it always worked to get my mind away from it by, by engaging, you know, with others. Before I ask my real question, I have to ask you, which had the better cafeteria, Sydney or Athens? Sydney. Yeah, what was the best thing they had? Well, listen, at that time, I mean, you first of all, you you know, I was young at that time, so you had like unlimited McDonald's, right? So you're like, <laughs> oh my god, like you can have this all day long. Come on, sounds seriously? good to me. <laughs> so I mean, now you know, now reflecting back on it, I you know, you figured if you were smarter by your nutrition. <laughs> probably results could have been even better, not necessarily winning, but more like time-wise, right? You could have been faster. Um, but at that time, yeah, but you had, I mean, seriously, you had probably about, I mean, think about a, like a, a, a food court uh, at like a mall, right? But nicer quality. And you had about like 20 or so stations and you got like, your eyes could barely see to the end of the cafeteria because it's so, it's so big. Uh, with all these tables, but uh, yeah, McDonald's was, certainly was the most popular place for sure, uh, where people <laughs> ended up conjugating and grabbing food from. 
I mean, sitting at the cafeteria with everyone and obviously, you know, opening ceremonies, what's it like being surrounded not only by your teammates, the other representatives of the United States, but people from all around the world who are the best in the world? Yeah, that that was one of the incredible uh, experiences to be there, to 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 feel like you're among the greatest athletes in the world. And that was certainly uh, that's when you kind of get your like. Uh, you pinch yourself, right? Like thinking like you're, you're amongst the best of the best. And uh, that's when you understand the kind of what you've achieved uh, just to be part of the Olympic games and be part of that uh, environment and being among the greatest athletes. Uh, it was certainly uh, very fulfilling and gratifying and humbling at the same time, because um there's a lot of things that have to go right in order to be able to make the Olympic Games um, or achieve that level. Um, you know, for me, be, I, although I made the Athens Games, between 2000 and 2004, I had four surgeries, two on my shoulder, uh, one on my knee, one on my sinuses. So you never know how, you know, what life is going to throw you away, right? So that's why you truly want to be appreciative of everything and be grateful for the opportunities. just want to circle it back a little bit. You mentioned how part of your mental prep was kind of surrounding yourself by those around you and making phone calls. But what's the moment like seconds before the buzzer? What's going on in your head and how do you make sure you don't sort of spiral or Right. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, for me, it was just really, you know, when they introduced this for the first race, I, I you know, I just kind of, I, I channeled it all. Like, I remember looking down the pool and just really understanding, visualizing where, what was at stake. I, I kept telling myself, just swim my own, swim your own race. You know what you need to do. I studied my competitors. I think it's really important to be prepared. Uh, you know, I obviously couldn't control what my competitors were going to do, right? But I can control myself and be smart in, in the way I raced, right? So that was preparation is the key because preparation gives you calm, confidence and, uh, and comedy in terms of, you know, knowing that in this moment you're going to be ready. So uh, I just I remember, like, you know, because I, I don't know if, I, if you guys ever watched the Olympics in swimming, but you get in, you know, everyone gets introduced in the final, right? So there's a little bit of a time, right? But by the time they have to introduce all, oh, I was in lane four, so I was right in the middle. So after that, there was another um, four people that were going to be introduced. So that was at the moment where I kind of just walked up to the, just stood right in front of the block and just was really focused. And now the end, and I was like, there and back. That's the focus, stand back. Stay with your game plan. Uh, just, just, just focus on that. And that was, uh, you know, that's how it was. It was, you, you know, because I knew, I, you know, I visualized. So, like all that, the challenges in training, the pain uh, that you go through in, in in practices, pushing yourself. This is because during those moments in training, I visualized the moment of standing there at the Olympic final on the verge of, or having an opportunity to win. So, you know, I can close my eyes and feel it. Wow. Yeah. that That's, that's amazing. I just want to ask you, like, obviously you're saying about the seconds before the race, but I know a lot of athletes, especially like professional athletes now 
have certain playlist or song or someone they'll call right before a big game. What was like that last thing you did before you walked out of the tunnel into like the big stage into the like right into the pool? What was like that last thing you did? Yeah, I, so I wasn't into like music. I wasn't into listening music before my my races, so that wasn't part of it. For me, again, like I know that my competitors didn't like that, but uh, you have a uh, ready room in swimming. You have a, a track, probably the same thing. I don't know. But in swimming, you have a ready room. So it's the room where you amongst the seven other people in your final. Right. That's brutal. So, so you're sitting. Yeah. So you're sitting in that room for like 10 minutes. Right. And uh, it's big enough, right, where you can kind of spread around. But I mean, the think about the the just the stress and intensity of that room. And of course, me and I can turn it on or off really quickly. I was trying to find someone to talk to who wanted to talk to me. Just so, <laughs> I'm sure they're like, just don't so talk can, to me. Yo, they wouldn't have told me that, but I guarantee you that's exactly what they were thinking. Like, get the <laughs> hell out of here. I don't want to talk to you right now. But for me, it was that that's how I try to get my mind off of it, right? I, I can turn it on or off really quickly. Like, that, I, I can't even describe to you how uh, prepared I, I would always be for races that I could, like, literally talk to you 10 seconds before the race and then just, like, turn it on and then let, let's focus. Again, that all comes from preparation. It doesn't just come like naturally, right? It, you have to be prepared to be able to to switch like that. And uh, yeah, so that th that room is intense. There's no doubt about it. That is besides sounds the harder than the race. Yeah, well, mentally, absolutely, mentally. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times when I went into those, because every like in all of big competition, there's always this ready room, and I would walk into this room and I could tell who was nervous and who was beat before I actually raced. Yeah. Them. Because you could tell, you could tell the emotions, you could tell in their face, you can tell it's just how relaxed they were versus how much they were moving. And, you know, so it, it really like body language and facial expressions could say, tell so much about, you know, whether that person was, relax and ready or they were they were they lost before they we even raced yeah absolutely i mean that's i feel the stress from being in that room from here just you talking about it yeah yeah i, I can feel the anxiety that comes with that um but i just want to ask you going back you were talking some about the cafeteria and all these amazing athletes you were with can you share any like memorable stories or moments from your time representing the united states at the olympics well there i mean i remember uh, at that time, I'm trying to say, I, I want to say maybe Pete Sampras was there, uh, which I don't know if you know who he's a, really back in like 90s, early 2000s. He was Nadal and uh, basically Nadal and um, Federer of his mm -hmm. era. Federer actually broke his record of the most uh, majors. Um, so he was there. I think Agassi might have been there. I'm trying to remember. Uh, Dream Team didn't stay there, so they always got the preferential treatment. So they stayed actually on a cruise liner that was that was uh, um, in in Sydney Harbor. Um, but at that time, I got to prior to it, I got to know a little bit Jason Kidd. He was on that team because we did a couple of uh, heading into Sydney 
we did a couple of like commercials together. Uh, we were both sponsored by Powerbar. So, uh, but I think they do, they would come in and kind of just eat in, in maybe like a couple of times at the cafeteria. Um, so, but it, it was just, uh, it, you know, what was so interesting about this is, you know, as you kind of follow athletes uh, on TV, you know, those that don't have an opportunity to actually, you know, uh, interact, but you follow uh, like these great athletes on TV and you think they're they're like, you know, untouchable or unapproachable. But in that setting in cafeteria, listen, it doesn't matter whether you're LeBron James or Kobe Bryant, because in my sport, I'm just as good as these guys are. Uh, right. And they understand that and they have respect for that. Yes, they have all this attention and they have all this, you know, aura that comes around them because so many people are focused on it. But I can tell you, we're just as good as they are in their sport. We we're just as good in our sport and tennis, just as good and track, just as good. So it really doesn't. And you're you're on even playing field. And so when you're sitting there, you no one comes across as like this huge personality that, you know, people that are not part of it would like, oh, my God, like you, I'm, I'm sitting at the table with so-and-so and so. You're sitting at the table with 10,000 other athletes. You know, a thousand of those athletes have a chance to win an Olympic gold medal. Uh, so, Yeah. Probably not a thousand. I would say probably more like three hundred. I've seen oftentimes a lot of Olympic athletes at the Olympics will go and like watch a lot of other sports and have time to go see the basketball game, see gymnastics, whatever. Did you? Would you go watch other sports in your off time from swimming? I did. I did, and that was a great. That was an important part for me to really uh, embrace the Olympics. Um, so fortunately enough, swimming is the first week. So the Olympics are two weeks, right? Uh, the first week is swimming. So once we were done with swimming, we were just basically just do whatever you want to do. Um, and, um, I did, I watched basketball. I went to watch track. I went to watch table tennis. Um, what was your favorite went to watch? To I, I enjoy table tennis. I mean, watching table tennis in, 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 in real life just the the talent and the ability to go back and forth at that speed it it was uh, you know like watching it on tv just doesn't do justice uh, yeah. you know being like being in person um loved uh table tennis uh, a lot i mean obviously um track was good i i don't necessarily remember what events we watched uh but that was fun but certainly table tennis really stood out for me seems like confidence is one of your best attributes even just talking with you, you carry a lot of confidence. Was there any ever a moment where that confidence kind of dwindled and you had to do something to build it up? Uh, no. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. <laughs> there you no. go. No, 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 no. <laughs> and it, it, it doesn't, you know why? Because uh, in one of my, uh, on one of our internet uh, trips on the national team, a coach said something that I've really honestly applied uh, to the rest of my, my life since. There's only one person that you can be truly honest with. And it's the person uh, that looks back at you when you brush your teeth in the morning. That is the only person that, that, that knows the truth. And the truth was, was if I 
put in the work and I gave it my best every single time. And I'll give you an example, like my, you know, my high, like my, you know, like when I, when I would get a lot of like endorphins and uh, is when I would come home after practice, I would fall on the couch and I couldn't get up because I was so tired. That was my high. For me, that was the drug, that drug of like feeling that I've given my all. So <clears throat> if this is what I uh, strive towards every day in practice, why wouldn't I be confident? Why? Because lack of confidence to me comes from lack of being prepared, lack of not giving you your all, not doing enough of your homework. That's where lack of confidence comes from. But if I've given my best, if I prepared my best, if someone is going to be better than me, they're just going to have to be better. They're going to be better than me. But I can still be honest to look at myself and in the mirror and say, I gave it my all. I prepared the best I could. You know, it is sports. So there's more to sports than life. I mean, there's more to life than sports. That was always a very important uh, perspective that I had in my mind, that no matter what was at stake, no matter what I was doing, this was just sports. And there's so much more to life than sports. And I think that also helped me in, in my journey because I could very easily compartmentalize, you know, my life as an athlete versus, you know, my career aspirations outside of sports, my friends, my family. So, for example, if I had a bad practice or I, I was struggling in, in practices or I had a bad competition, once I walked out of the pool deck, that's it. I left it there. It di I didn't carry that on to, you know, my life because I had friends. I could, you know, go out with friends. I can spend time with family. Um, and it really helped me. And I think that's that's important because I've seen other athletes that are so consumed with what, you know, just being their sport. And if it doesn't go well in their sport, the rest of their life is affected by it. And uh, I think that's a really wrong approach. Because I can tell you one thing, you know, success, no matter what the success is, it's it doesn't last, right? There's always someone new, someone better, someone... I mean, I don't know if you guys follow basketball these days, but the talent today is so great that no one remembers the great athlete players that played 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they retired. And that's just normal. So I think you have to keep those things in perspective. Be great. Uh, give it all your best. Give it the best you have. But also understand there's more to life. So you're talking about the, the mortal life. What was it like then walking away from the competitive side? And as you moved into your coaching, and I'd love if you could speak about the swim academy you have and the importance of, you know, swim safety going into that. Is there something you took with you from that competitive side? Is there something that can be applied not only to your daily life, but anyone's daily life? Yes. Uh, great question. Um, biggest challenge for most athletes is this transition from being a professional athlete being the great at what you do and transitioning into the next phase of your life 
which will be harder to measure whether you're great at something or not, right? In, in sports, it's easier to measure. If, you, if you're great, it's based on results. The rest of your life might not be as easy to measure that. So transition is hard. What I was doing uh, is I was already planning my, uh, I was planning what I wanted to do afterwards. So if I didn't have specifics, at least I was researching. I was talking to people. I was networking. Uh, a lot of my friends outside of swimming were business owners. So I would watch them. I would watch uh, how they built their businesses, how they built their careers. So it's really important to, to, to plan and be prepared for the transition. And it really helped me uh, to make that uh, transition smoother. When I walked away, I walked away easy because I had a goal that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to build the swim academies. I wanted to do learn to swim. So I had the next goal to focus on. Uh, obviously, just like in sports, being committed to this new vision, this new goal, I had to put in the work. I had to obviously be committed to, um, you know, ups and downs and not being not get too emotionally attached because building a business isn't easy, you know, ups and downs. What also was so important and what I've realized uh, running a, a company is that you're only as good as people that work with you and for you because uh, you can have a vision, but there are other people that have to execute your vision. Uh, it came uh, very similar uh, how it was when I when I trained. I was only as good as, you know, people that train with me every single day helped me push me every, you know, push me to bring out the best in me. My coach, my coaches throughout the years that really pushed me uh, to be the best I can be. So I had to rely on the, on the coaches. I had to build relationships uh, with with the coaches, with my uh, teammates, uh, with my competitors because that is that is part of this full package of taking you know just being a, being appreciative of people around you that help you be better and that's what i try to bring those same characteristics um as a business owner is to be able to surround myself with good people right people that share my passion my vision and also be grateful to them uh, to be able to execute that vision. So going off of what you were saying about your coach and how he talks about before the coach at USC and all the inspiration they gave you, how do you take that all into becoming a coach yourself and use that in what you've learned from being on the other side, from being the swimmer to now being a coach towards other swimmers? How do you, how do you work with these swimmers and what tactics have you learned to use on them? So, Sean, so I haven't really, so for me personally, I haven't done much coaching myself. I, I've, you know, when I transition, I transition more as a, being a business owner, as being a CEO. And then co uh, what I have done is I, I, I still do from time to time. I do like a swim camp or a swim clinic where I would come in for like a day or I used to do it a week. Uh, is uh, being able to just just to train or to coach swimmers. Uh, in that particular role, it was just a matter of uh, uh, giving everyone an opportunity to learn, right? So what I wanted to uh, what I wanted to provide them was um, a a I guess an a la carte 
of things that they can uh, learn based on my experiences, based on what, uh, you know, if we're working on a certain stroke, how things should be done, uh, breaking it down, break it down to them, uh, maybe to make it a little bit more um, absorbable to them, how they can implement that in their own uh, training. But at the end of the day, the goal was always to be able to provide them the resources to, to be better. And uh, that's all I could do. How they consumed that information, how they used it and applied it, it's very different. That That's up to them. I can't control that part of it. What I could control is what information I gave them, what made me successful, what I was providing them with. And from that standpoint, I felt like if I do that, they could be better. Whether they choose to do that, that's up to them. So at the end of the day, like, for example, when when my coach would give us a set or, or had a practice, right? Not everyone gave 100%, right? Some people just kind of went through the motions. Some people gave it their all. But we spent this, we spent the two hours, let's say we came for a morning practice. We spend those two hours. The, t the two hours flew by the same for all of us in the group. But some of us took advantage of that two hours more so than others. And that kind of, you know, the moral of kind of the, the, the whole culture. As you, you've moved in now to your kind of entrepreneurship lifestyle, and you've obviously accomplished so much in your swimming career, is there something that you're still trying to achieve in your personal life? Well, that's a great question. I think for me, achieving is looking uh, for new opportunities, new challenges that that continue to drive me to, you know, build something that uh, that uh, excites me. Waking up every morning and continuing to be better. I think for me, it's always it's always uh, looking for ways to be better. I mean, if you speak to people that work for me, I'm always coming up with new ideas that uh, I want our team to try to implement. If you speak to my coaches or if you speak to my former, you know, teammates, uh, it was the same thing. I was always looking for ways to be better, whether it's uh, analyzing my race videos, sitting there in the video room and analyzing my race videos or, or starting how my competitors uh, were swimming or what was making them better than me. Let's say one of my big competitors back in my days was... Uh, uh, Neil Walker from Texas. Neil was great underwater swimmer. So I would watch a lot better than me. So I would watch his tapes to see what was making him better and trying to, you know, implement that into my my training and preparation. So again, it it, it it's a it's it's always looking for for things to be better and uh, improve on and new challenges. And now it's it's in you know in an entrepreneurial space. Before we wrap up here, I'd love to ask, you have any, you know, not that you've not given us plenty of words of wisdom, but is there a mantra you use or any last bits of advice that you'd, you'd like to share? Yes, I do have a mantra. If it's going to be, it's up to me. It's, I like uh, that. It's, it's, uh, it's something that uh, I, I don't ever look for excuses. I never did. Uh, uh, if you give it your best, like we talked about. If you can be honest with yourself, um, I think you're going to be successful no matter what path you choose. Um, 
understanding that there's going to be ups and downs and that is okay it's it's not i mean life is not possible to uh always have a smooth smooth ride i think we all have to understand that and we have to come to terms to that but the idea is not to get too down on yourself when when things aren't going well for you um like uh just uh going back to real quickly to an example of you know during my competitive days if i had a bad race or i i didn't you know accomplish what i wanted to accomplish uh or in training i had like let's say a bad week of training you can get down on yourself or you can die uh, dissect and see what are the good things because there's always, even in the worst of situations, there's always something that was positive, right? It, it has to be. That's that, that, that's okay. So what was the positive in the bad situation? How can I build on that positive? How can I hold on to that positive in order to, me, to you know, springboard me back on track? And that is, the, that is the important part of it. So learning, everything is a learning experience. And learn, even in challenging times, learn learn from the good things and then build on that. It's amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Mr. Kraselberg. We've, we've thoroughly enjoyed this and we wish you, you the best of luck with your business and everything you do moving forward. Thank you guys. Appreciate your invitation and good luck to building your media empire. It Thank starts you. small. The future is bright, you guys. <laughs> <laughs>